as you might have noticed, focus primarily on arriving in our bodies. And when I review kind of my own uh, process of spiritual awakening and the different instructions I've received over the years, uh, one of the very first that really made a dent uh, happened when I was in a yoga class. I was in college and it was right around midterms and I decided that I was so wrapped, I was kind of a nervous wreck and somebody told me, well, yoga's good. That's all I knew, yoga's good. <laughs> so I landed up in this yoga class and uh, the instructor was really very, she was very um, into having us be aware of our bodies. And one of the first things she said, and you can try this right now, she said, okay, just close your eyes and feel your hands just the way we've been doing here. And she said, not only feel your hands, really be the awareness that's inside your hands. Live inside your hands. Experience your hands from the inside out. And she said, what do you feel there? And she said, this awareness you have in your hands, you can have everywhere in your body. And if you can begin to move through your day with that awareness, you'll find that you're really here for your life. And you can open your eyes if you'd like. That really clicked. Like, I went inside my hands and went, wow, they're really alive. And I'm really missing out because I clearly don't spend a lot of my time feeling that vibrant kind of presence. Somehow back in those days, I was in my early 20s, we had this idea that really the high states were when we were having out-of-body experiences. So this was really the in-the-body experience. And then on through the years, first Buddhist retreat, you know, first classes I went to, um, the, the, the original instructions, the Buddha taught that the first foundation of mindfulness, the starting place, if we're to be aware in this world, is with the actual sensations arising in our body. And that we really can't be aware in a way of, you know, being intimate with each other and connected to the earth and just really awake beings if we don't have this capacity to be right here, in this body, right now. Often spiritual life is kind of imagined as this otherly, worldly thing, this retreat from really the everyday existence. And really what the Buddha was teaching was kind of the flip of that, that our everyday experience, what we call daily life, is really kind of dreamy. We're off planning the future and worrying about what might happen and having memories and comments. There's this, have you noticed a stream of comments about what's happening? The Buddha called it the waterfall, that there's this current of stuff happening in us that's, that removes us. We get drawn off from the present because we're always in some way stepping out of our experience and commenting on it or judging it. Interesting when you think the 
statues that we see of the Buddha or of spiritual beings are sitting still and serene. But what's happening inside them? They might look like there's not much from the outside, but in a way the form of sitting is an incredible doorway to see just how much life is going on inside us. Have you noticed as you sit still and close your eyes just the massive amount of activity going on? (laughs) It's incredible. So one of the reasons that the that spiritual traditions from around the globe, this isn't particular to Buddhism, say, well, get still. It's because when our bodies get still, our minds quiet just a little more than they were, enough so we can begin to see the gaps between the thoughts. We begin to get the fact that we actually are thinking. We can't even notice it if we're in action. So the training to become present starts with the simplicity of coming into stillness and paying attention to sensations. If we can be awake in our bodies, we can notice when we then take off into emotions, into daydreams, into mental movies. As the Buddha described it, when we're not awake in our bodies, we get lost in a chain of reactivity. And we each have our own version. We will interpret what somebody's saying to us as an insult and get defensive and withdrawal, or we'll interpret things in another way and get um, angry and lash out. But we all have these repeating patterns. And there's only one way to cut through it. There's only one way to be awake and have choice. And that's to be aware in our body. Somebody handed me this last year. It's a cartoon called The Robotics Department, and you have two robots, and one of them's just jumping up and down ecstatically. I'm free, I'm free, I'm free at last. I found my manual override button. In a way, in the moment that we come into our body's awareness, we are overriding those habits. We We have some choice. Now, in Buddhist psychology, it explains how we get so caught in trance. And it's a really important, it's simple but important to have that kind of understanding. How is it we so easily drift into this daydream and spend so much time in it, in this reactive daydream? How do we get so caught? And the way that Buddhist psychology describes it is that in any given moment we're having sensory experiences. Our senses are contacting the world with seeing images and hearing sounds and tasting tastes and feeling sensations. And in those moments we have an instant unconscious assessment that it's either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And by the way, this Western psychology has the exact, cognitive psychology has the exact same understanding. We instantly are are assessing everything that's happening to us as either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. When it's pleasant, the reflex is to want more. We have a grasping reflex. We try to hold on to it. 
When it's unpleasant, we push it away. We don't want it. When it's neutral, the reflex is to get, to lose our attention, to get inattentive, to tune out. So this is happening all the time. And we might not be aware of it, but if we are angry at someone, we're actually not liking unpleasant sensations that are going on in our body at that moment. That's the ground of what's going on. If we're attracted to somebody, we're wanting and liking the pleasant sensations that are going on in our body. Our entire swirl of obsessive thoughts and emotions and reactivity all arise out of this basic reflex to grasp or resist on a sensational level. Everything. So the Buddha taught that if we could be awake to what's going on, what sensations are happening, to the pleasantness and unpleasantness, then in that wakefulness we're not so easily drawn off into reactivity. So let's just take a moment and explore what it's like to have that intention to be aware of these sensations. Let's just take this first instruction, this most basic instruction in Buddhist practice, and just close your eyes. And just send yourself the message that for these moments, your intention is to be awake in your body, to inhabit your body. You might start, as I did early in my training, with the hands. All our nerve endings are in our hands, and it's easy to feel the life there. And then let that awareness and presence spread. The Buddha's instructions were simply to pay attention to the stream of sensations, neither pushing away nor holding on. This is a quality of acceptance that allows us to be fully here, just letting be, noticing pleasantness or unpleasantness, If your mind drifts into a thought, and notice that, and gently arrive again in this field of sensation, and notice what the difference is between being in a thought and waking up out of it.
And see as we go through this evening if you can keep letting your bodily sensations be a home base for you to build this practice of arriving again and again. Now, a question for you. When you bring your attention to sensations, what do you notice? What do you notice about them? What just, what stands out about just the experience of sensations? Anyone? Yeah. You have to speak a little louder, please. Okay, this is great. So, this that she tends to notice the bad ones, the ones that are painful in some way. Okay, so that's one thing. We bring our attention to this, this whole physical world here, and our attention gets focused on where there's pain. Thank you. Yeah. Noticing when he pays attention to sensations, everything's constantly changing. How many of you notice that? That it's all constantly changing? Yeah. In Pali, the language of the Buddha, it's called anicca. Ever-changing. This quality of if, we, if we're really paying attention, not in any way adding a story, just noticing sensations. Can, is anything ever holding still? It's one of the... These are both key realizations that when we start paying attention, we start noticing what's called dukkha, or the discomfort, where there's pain. We notice that it's ever-changing. Anyone else, anything you noticed about paying attention to sensations? Okay, so this is the quality of how we get caught in the waterfall, that we start with our body and how quickly the mind trips off into daydreams or thoughts. How many of you notice that? How quickly? All of us, mostly. (laughs) Yeah. So the Buddha recommended this presence in our body and said, because our conditioning is just as you beautifully described it, we trip off into thoughts or daydreams, we can get fixated and reactive to when there's pain, that it's an actual training on how to really come back again and again. And perhaps for most of us, and this is both in meditation and in daily life, the most challenging piece of the training is, how do we stay here when we encounter pain? Isn't that really one of the life questions? Like, how do we stay present and balanced when we're in the face of pain? So let's just explore this a little, because what I'd like to do tonight, I'll end up um, sharing with you a wonderful meditation on working with pain that was um, put together by Stephen Levine. Um, Every one of us, if not acutely or chronically, at times encounters pain in our body and we have all sorts of reactions to it. And sometimes it's very physical pain and sometimes it's emotional pain. And you can, if you have an area, if you're struggling with physical pain at all, 
then you can use tonight to focus on that. If your pain's more emotional, it's still unpleasant sensations in the body. It's the exact same experience. So what is pain? I mean, in a very simple way, it's unpleasant sensations. It's unpleasant sensations that biologically and psychologically are designed to call our attention. Pain's a messenger. It says, pay attention that something needs taken care of. Now, we can think of pain in a way that's quite simple as, well, if we have a headache, then we pay attention and respond. Maybe we take an aspirin. We can think of it in terms of the kind of pain we each experience when we're born. There's pain. There's nothing wrong with it. It's natural, but it's pain. And we respond by struggling to get out of the womb, to be born. There's pain when we're dying. Just like an animal seeking solitude, that pain might have us seek a a kind of peaceful inner refuge. I'm giving you examples of pain as this natural part of living and dying. It tells us pay attention, we listen, we respond. This is the simple level. This is before pain turns to suffering, okay? A very helpful one of those kind of pithy teachings in Buddhism is that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. This is an important one. This is where we're going tonight. As you describe, pain comes up, we pay attention to it. But does it have to cause suffering? Is there a way of making peace with pain? A story for you about, I was, I'm very aware of how our culture makes pain wrong. And uh, when I was first pregnant, my husband and I decided that we'd have a home birth and without medication and with a midwife and so on because so much of the way we try to get rid of pain ends up numbing and deadening us. And so that was, that was the route we decided. And I, did a, I was doing a lot of yoga and a lot of meditation. I was pretty confident about going with the flow. You know, I knew well, as most of you know, that when contractions are painful, if we don't want to p- create more pain, we don't resist them. Again, this is one of the teachings about life. When pain arises, if we don't resist it, we don't create suffering. Well, it's very much true physically with giving birth. All the uh, lamas and every other version of birthing teach, don't resist. So, so that was the practice. I was there, you know, I went into labor and I was going with the flow and contractions hurt and I was breathing and sounding and trying to surrender to it. And it was all working great up until a point. <laughs> And then, as how many of you are, have given birth? Can I see hands? Just so I know. I'm <laughs> okay, so there's a bunch of us here. Um, so just when my son was crowning, just when the head was about to come out, big new burst of a whole other level of pain, and all of a sudden everything flipped inside me. All of a sudden I thought, oh, something's wrong. This is wrong. Something's going wrong. This is bad. And then my system started tightening and panicking and resisting and I stopped breathing and I was fighting the process. Pain had turned to suffering. And my midwife, who is wonderful and seasoned, just assured me that it was very, very intense and very, very natural and just what it was. 
In other words, she gave me the message, it's pain and it's not wrong. And her words sunk in and I stopped fighting. And that's when I surrendered to the burning and tearing and exhaustion and the whole thing. And then, of course, surrendered to the joy of having a new baby in my arms. I learned a really important thing from that, which is the difference between sensing pain as just pain, just unpleasant sensations, and the suffering that comes when we add on something's wrong. Now, the truth is that not all pain leads to birth, right? Sometimes pain leads to more pain. Sometimes pain, because it comes from an injury, might mean loss of certain activities, and eventually pain can lead to death. So it's not like the ending is always, ah, I have a new baby in my arms, right? (laughs) And yet, it's still pain. In Buddhism and in many spiritual traditions and many nature-based cultures, there's a real understanding that our true nature is not limited to these living, dying bodies. And when we have a sense of that larger belonging, the whole process of pain and birth and death is not looked on as a bad thing, like it's some tragedy or catastrophe or something's going wrong when we get sick or get old or when we die. And yet in our culture, in the West, um, natural processes are not embraced. We are very hooked on trying to control how things are and outdo them, rather than saying, ah, pain's arising, let me make peace with it. We go to war with it. And of course we do that politically too. We get afraid and our reactions try to control things, so we use painkillers. We use a lot of medication. We have this reflex that says pain's bad. Anything that helps to numb it or get rid of it is a good thing. And then now we find out, for so many people, the medical and psychological effects of having tried to get rid of pain. So how do we make peace with something where we have such a reflex to go, oh, this is bad, something's wrong? Another cartoon, three people are in heaven talking, and one of them saying to the others, you know, it was an incredibly healing experience, but somehow I still wound up dead. (laughs) I I like that. (laughs) It's like we have this idea of healing, but it means that we all get well and we live happily ever after. I mean, happily ever after. Our ideas of healing don't include the way Stephen Levine describes it. I love the title, I have the wrong book, but Healing into Life and Death is the name of one of his books. Healing means becoming whole, reconnecting with our wholeness, with our spirit. And there's room for dying in that process too. So how not to make things wrong, especially when our conditioning is to try to be as comfortable as possible all the time. Now, some of you might remember, I described going to a um, conference on traumatic stress and um, 
the aside is that I very much think that for many people at certain times of their life antidepressants can be a compassionate and wise thing. But given that, I was at this conference and there was a poster and it said, uh, if there was Prozac back then, and the first thing they had under that was a picture of Karl Marx and he was saying, sure, capitalism could work if we just maybe tweaked it a little, you know. And then you had a picture of Edgar Allan Poe and he's standing at the window and he's saying, hello, birdie. (laughs) (laughs) If there was Prozac back then. (laughs) We know that a lot of our efforts to get rid of pain get rid of our aliveness, right? And if we're always struggling to manage our experience, we're tense. It's as John O'Donohue put it, he said, we manage our experience so completely that we forget the mystery that we're in. So how to befriend pain, how to make friends with this natural experience of living so that rather than leaving our body, rather than controlling our body, we can inhabit it. And inhabiting it, feel that presence that really allows us to be intimate with our life. Again, I invite you to check in. Just see what happens when your intention is to feel the life of this body and not resist. You might just use the word yes, like yes to however it is. This is radical acceptance, surrendering into this living, dying, breathing process, completely a stream of change. Staying connected with your body as you continue to listen. We all know people, or else we know people who know people who have moved through life in a way where they've been accepting of the pain or fear or whatever that naturally arises, that maybe even on their death that we could sense this being that embraced pain and embraced dying in a way that allowed them to really express a boundless kind of love. And there's stories all the time about people when they're dying that have that kind of acceptance and love. And what they're accepting is, yes, pain is here. It's okay. It's not wrong. Dying happens. And then we also know people who've gone through their lives constantly struggling with their physical and emotional pain, at war with it, and so that their whole identity is defined by being at war with how their life is. We know it both ways. The basic teaching is that if we resist the pain, our pleasure, our life that's arising through us, we become small, we become identified with resistance. It's a trance then we're a small, oppressed self at war with how it is. And we all know what that feels like when we're kind of pitched against our experience. 
So there's a lot of different ways that we do it. And you can check out for yourself how, how your style is of resisting physical and emotional discomfort. I mean, one of the most basic ways we do it is to deny that it's happening. No, I'm fine. I feel fine. This body feels fine. It's as one 70-year-old put it. He said, I have kidney trouble, I have sore feet, I have hemorrhoids, and I have a triple bypass, and I also have prostate trouble. But hey, as long as I have my health. (laughs) So, denial. It's a big one. Because we cannot, if we're denying our experience, we're disconnecting from it. We're not really in a wholehearted quality of presence. And then, in each of these ways of, of... of not acknowledging and accepting the pain and the hurt in our body-mind narrows us. Another way we do it is because it's, we're trying to get way away from the unpleasantness is we get violent. We express our escape through trying to judge and blame and get rid of others. And a lot of the violence, when, when you see viol- anybody that's individually violent or a country that's violent, it's very uncomfortable. Violence comes out of a feeling of deep discomfort and unpleasantness. So we try to get rid of that tension by getting rid of other people. Rita Rudner uh, puts it this way. She says, My grandmother was a very tough woman. She buried three husbands. Two of them were just napping. (laughs) So that's another expression of get away from our pain by getting rid of others in some way. Not usually that extreme, but who knows. The big way we do it is we leave our body. And we leave our body, all of us, from little discomforts. But sometimes it's easiest to understand how we leave our body if we look at big trauma. And there's always a good percentage of us that have been really traumatized, whether it's sexually, physically, emotionally, had traumatic pain. So what happens when we get traumatized? Interestingly, our nervous system and our brain chemistry is plastic, which means it changes. It's not steady state. And when we've experienced a huge amount of pain, when we've really been shocked by it, our chemistry gets altered in a really significant way. And in a way we're rigged or primed to overreact. Our reflex to overreact is set in. Brain has registered that something very dangerous happened and it's putting us on full alert. And then we stay on full alert for decades. And it could be something that triggers us that's not at all dangerous, but it sets off the same neural response so that we experience it as a major threat. What happens? Our body is in a sense of major alarm and we do whatever we can. And this is true from everyone I know that has had uh, stress, post-traumatic stress, the experience is we get away from our bodies any way we can. Usually it's through overeating, through drugs, through obsessive thinking, through drinking, you know, whatever we can do to not feel intolerable affect. Now that's the extreme, but every one of us has times when the feelings in us feel intolerable, where we don't want them, 
and we have our system for leaving our body. One of the biggest ways we leave our body is we go into stories about what's happening. We use our stories to try to figure it out and fix it and get rid of it and and separate ourselves from it. I spent uh, about five years between ages 40 and 45 where I was chronically sick and um, now I know tons and tons of people chronically sick and it wears you down. So, I mean, for me I just started getting grim and bitter about it. Um, but part of what happened is I watched all my stories that would circle around it and the biggest stories were I don't know how to take care of myself. I'm not resp- I'm creating this sickness by the way I'm doing things. This sickness in some way is a kind of a character deflect. I felt ashamed that I was sick. So there was that. All these stories and in a way the stories, when I was inside them, I was kind of away from my body. And I kept picking at my life with these stories. Ultimately I was trying to figure out what was wrong and fix it, but it wasn't a healthy kind of uh, mindfulness of, oh, so this is causing this. It was obsessive and fear-driven. So during that time I started sensing my identity contracting into, I am a sickly self. We do that when we are suffering, whether it's from emotional depression or physical sickness, it starts defining who we are. And rather than belonging to the earth and each other and having that sense of spirit and openness that's our deep identity, we live in a very small sense of being separate and defective. So stories. Now when pain gets very, very acute, the story becomes very, very simple. I want to share with you, uh, one one of the friends here in the Sangha went through just a very severe bout of of acute pain recently and I'd like to read to you something he wrote about it. I'm just taking portions of what he wrote. A fragment of disc had come loose in my back and was pressing on a portion of my spinal cord. It felt like someone had poured gasoline on my left leg and lit it. The pain was relentless and all-consuming. At one point I was taking two strong narcotics, steroids, an anti-inflammatory, and two strong sedative muscle relaxants. I felt like a junkie. But the drugs didn't touch the pain. They would just knock me out for a while. Then I would wake up and be in agony till the next dose. Then he writes this, now listen. Pain has a unique quality. The stronger it is, the less aware you are of the rest of the world. If it is severe enough, in the end, there is only you and the pain locked in a delicate duel. Your world becomes very small. Have you noticed how that happens? Whether it's emotional or physical pain, how it just becomes this battle where we're separate from everything and at war with our experience? This is the basic story. It's me against the pain. And when we pitch ourselves against pain, or any part of our life, we're in trance. We've lost sight of the beauty and wholeness and goodness and connectedness, which is our intrinsic nature. 
There's a healer that wrote a book called All Sickness is Homesickness. I think it's a wonderful term that when we react to our experience, we leave home. In other words, instead of being at home in this moment and in this body, when we react, we leave home, we leave the moment. And that's the real sickness. The problem is not pain or unpleasant sensations. They, they're just going to happen. The suffering is when we lock into a reactivity, trying to get rid of it, making the pain wrong, making ourselves wrong. So how do we train in this way the Buddha taught to, to inhabit our body, to really accept and let life be when pain is intense, our pleasure is intense and we go off on fantasy? How do we train to be here? A moment, just see what happens. Can you come back this moment? This is the training to, again and again, no matter where we are, see if we can arrive in just this moment, in these sensations. As we arrive, you might notice if there's areas of pain And if there's not areas of physical pain, you might sense if there's something in your life that's going on, a situation that is very unpleasant. Because always, when there's a place where we're reacting in our life, there's unpleasant sensations. So, this is an invitation to explore now how to make peace with pain. And the basic process is to put aside our story that surrounds it. You might sense the story at first, how someone's hurting you, what you're afraid of is going to happen, how the sickness might keep going if you're feeling, if you have sickness, how you might die, you might never be happy. Whatever the story is, you can let it be in awareness But then the challenge is, can you come to feel directly the feelings in your body that are underneath the story? If it's physical pain, can you just open to the places in your body where the pain is? And if it's emotional, fear, can you feel in your throat, in your chest, in your belly, the actual sensations of those emotions. Bring your attention to the area of sensation that's most uncomfortable in your body right now. You might even ask, what most wants my attention, my healing attention? And it might, as I mentioned, be a place of physical pain, or it might be where you feel pain that has to do with an emotional situation. But just notice the part of your body right now that feels most uncomfortable. 
and let your attention come wholly to that area. Let the awareness be present moment to moment to receive the sensations that are generated there. Allow the discomfort to be felt. This is your opportunity to investigate and open. Moment to moment new sensations seem to arise. Feel them. Notice, does the flesh cramp against the pain? Can you feel how the body tends to grasp it in a fist, tries to close it off? Begin to allow the body to open all around that sensation. Wherever there's discomfort or resistance, to open around that. Feel the tension and resistance that comes to try to wall off sensation. Don't push away the pain. Just let it be there. And feel how the body tries to isolate it, tries to close it off. If the pain's strong, you might be able to picture that fist, to feel how the body is clenched in resistance. Feel how the body holds each new sensation. Begin gradually to open that closedness around sensation. The least resistance can be so painful. Open, soften, all around the sensation. Allow the fist moment to moment to open, to give space to the sensation. wherever you're aware in your body right now of discomfort, tension, just open and soften, see if you can let be. The palm of that fist softening, the fingers beginning to loosen their grip, opening all around the sensation, the fist loosening, gradually opening, moment to moment, letting go of the pain by releasing the fear that surrounds it. Just opening to what is right now, whatever you're experiencing. Yes to this. Let the pain, the discomfort soften. Let it be. See if you can let go of the resistance that tries to smother the experience. Soft, gentle presence. No holding, no pushing away. The pain beginning to float free in the body. See if you can sense that, any area of 
pain or discomfort, just floating free in the body, all grasping, relinquished. Just awareness and sensation meeting moment to moment, received gently by the softening flesh. Now let your body be fully soft and open. Let sensations float free, easy, gently. Softening all around the pain, just sensation now. Arising and dissolving, floating free in the soft, open body. Now in simple presence, just notice as you experience this changing stream of sensation, just notice your experience. Is anybody causing the sensations? Controlling them? Are sensations happening to somebody? Is anything holding still? Anything solid? Just surrender to this groundlessness, this changing stream that doesn't belong to anyone that's just happening in awareness. Many of you know the poem Hokusai says, just sense how you can be in relationship with your life in a way that's liberating. Hokusai says, look carefully. He says, pay attention, notice. He says, keep looking, stay curious. He says, there's no end to seeing. He says, every one of us is a child, every one of us is ancient, Every one of us has a body. He says, every one of us is frightened. He says, every one of us has to find a way to live with fear. He says, everything is alive, shells, buildings, people, fish, mountains, trees. Wood is alive, water is alive. Everything has its own life. Everything lives inside us. He says, live with the world inside you. It matters that you care. It matters that you feel. It matters that you notice. It matters that life lives through you. Look, feel, let life take you by the hand. Let life live through you. 
as we move from fighting our experience to bringing this kind of radical acceptance to the life living through us, we awaken from trance. This is the essence of a path of freedom, that we wakefully let this life be, and in doing discover the fullness and mystery of who we are. As Haqqeen Zenji writes, this very place is the lotus land, this very body, the Buddha. live with this quality of presence and wakefulness. May all beings discover the openness of heart and mind. May all beings live in peace. May there be peace on this earth and peace everywhere. May all beings awaken. May all beings be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.